Hey, good morning. This is the Michael Slate Show, and I am your guest host in today for Michael Slate. This is Samsara Taylor. I'm a big fan of Michael Slate. I'm very pleased and honored to be standing in for him as we ease our way into this show. And before I tell you all of what we're going to share with you, I want to highlight right up front um, a voice of a courageous, very uh, truth-possessed uh, 12-year-old young girl whose whole future is on the line speaking uh, truth to power. Let's start with her. She's in West Virginia. This is Addison Gardner testifying against a very vicious anti-abortion restriction that was on on the ballot. Let's put it that way. Yes, she was 12 years old. She wore a green bandana on her head, the color of the international green wave out of Latin America, standing up for abortion rights to legalize abortion in Latin America. And now it's been taken up in this country by many standing up against the recent overturning of abortion rights nationwide in this country and the fight to defend abortion on demand and without apology, legal abortion nationwide now. Okay, here we go. This is Addison Gardner. I'm 12 years old. I attend Buffalo Middle School. I play for varsity volleyball and I run track. My education is very important to me and I plan on doing great things in life. If a man decides that I'm an object and does unspeakable and tragic things to me, am I a child supposed to carry and birth another child? Am I to put my body through the physical trauma of pregnancy? Am I to suffer the mental implications? A child who had no say in what was being done with my body. Some here say they are pro-life. What about my life? And does my not does my life not matter to you? All right, that was Addison Gardner, twelve years old, standing up courageously. Oh man, I get choked up listening to it. You should see the video. Um, like I said, my name is Sansara Taylor, and I'm not only a big fan of Michael Slayton, honored to stand in for him today on this uh, edition of the Michael Slate Show. I want to let you know that I am a the co-host of the Revolution Nothing Less show on YouTube at youtube.com slash the RevComs. Today, we are going to bring you a few um, very special interviews and segments. We're going to start the hour off with a very deep interview with Jim Forat, who is a longtime, longtime uh, gay rights activist, freedom fighter, multi-issued, concerned with all of humanity. He, he was politicized back in San Francisco in the 60s with the hippies and the diggers and, and the Black Panthers. He, he'll tell you about it. And he has been a very active part of the movement Rise Up for Abortion Rights, which I am a co-initiator of together with others and has been out really on the forefront of leading people to stand up and fight against the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the overturning of abortion rights nationwide for the whole six month period between when the Supreme Court first heard the case back in December and in June, when they finally decided the case and overturned abortion rights nationwide and continuing to today. And, and Jim Forad has been a part of that. And recently, if you've been listening to this show or maybe you've seen it on the internet in different ways, there have been a whole campaign of very scurrilous, unprincipled, dishonest and dangerous attacks against Rise Up for Abortion Rights from some among the so-called left um, that have been uh, amplified in and sensationalized in the media 
um, against rise up for abortion rights and against the role of the revcoms, that is the revolutionary communists within that movement, myself as a key figure, as well as Bob Avakian, the leader of the, of the movement for revolution, the architect of the new communism. And so all of that is on the table in this interview that we'll bring you to start off the hour. It was conducted by Andy Z, who is the host of the Revolution Nothing Less show. And it's deep and is wide ranging. So we'll get to that later. We're going to take a look way back in time, way out into space. We're going to have a special segment that was put together also by the Revolution Nothing Less show with Noche Diaz the spokesperson for the national, the national spokesperson for the revolution clubs talking about the James Webb telescope and the extraordinary pictures seeing back 13 billion years in time, way to the outer edges of, of the universe, almost to the 13.8 billion years back to the uh, big bang. And it's just opening up new vistas for human understanding and imagination and, and exploration. And so I think that's it's an astounding accomplishment, a lot to appreciate and learn from. And so uh, we'll bring you that later in the hour. It's beautiful. We'll have a few other things along the way. And with that, let's dive into the, our first segment. This is Andy Z interviewing Jim Forat, longtime gay rights activist um, and participant in Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Thank you. All right, I'm very pleased to have a, a longtime friend and a revolutionary and political activist, Jim Ferrat. He's a history maker. He's been a club entrepreneur, a professional actor, a pop culture critic, a writer, a political activist his entire life. He was one of the people and among the people who founded the Yippies. He's worked with prominent musicians in the 60s. I first met Jim in the late 1970s when he was running uh, one after another of the really cutting edge nightclubs in New York where he introduced many of the radical artists of that time. And very importantly, Jim was not just present at, but was a participant in the Stonewall Rebellion, which really lofted gay and lesbian rights onto the front pages of the paper and started a movement. He was imprisoned in Texas for a year for his advocacy for gay people. Uh, and uh, Jim's outspoken. He's not going to mince words. He doesn't do that to curry favor, but he calls things as he sees them. I have counted him as a friend of revolution books over the last several decades, and he was very active in Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Rise Up for Abortion Rights and uh, has been under serious attack, as we've covered on the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show. A lot of this attack has been aimed at the Revcoms and Bob Avakian in particular, and, and in classic uh, anti-communist uh, COINTELPRO form, they've been attacking Rise Up for association. This is just one of the most time-honored uh, or time-dishonored uh, reactionary traditions uh, in this country and around the world. And we had a Zoom call where we got into a lot of this in which uh, Jim Ferrat spoke at one point. We had a lot to say and I wanted him on the show where we could see him in person and uh, and really get into these questions. Uh, when Jim on the, uh, on the Zoom call began with talking about his experience in the Bay Area. So I thought maybe we could start there, Jim. Uh, but first of all, welcome to the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show. My pleasure, indeed, okay. my pleasure. You know, the Bay Area in the late 60s, or the middle to late 60s was you know, uh, the place to be, you know? Uh, if you were a white working class kid like myself, you know, uh, I wanted to change the world. And I thought that hippies had a, a way of doing it. I discovered that hippies had no politics uh, <laughs> um, that I could understand. 
But while living in San Francisco and living in the hate, I became aware of the of the diggers. I sort of joined up with them and helped serve the food and talk to people about making a better world. Uh, and then I discovered the Black Panther Party. And the Black Panther Party had an incredible um, effect upon me because I saw people really taking A, control of their own lives and B, building community and caring about each other and helping people to educate themselves about how change is made and making sure that they had a full stomach, that the kids had its education in school and that family, all kinds of families were respected, including my tribe. Uh, Huey P. Newton was the first person to ever come out on the left to say, don't judge a homosexual on, on their sexual practices, judge them on their practice, their political practice. And that's always been the litmus for me. It was a lesson well learned at that time. Stop with the personal battles, but look at the, the practice of the people you're working with and either try to change it if it's not what you want or start something different. So the Bay Area had a very big influence on me. There was a white guy that was very young and outspoken and shared the stage with the Panthers a number of times so that I went to a rally or a demonstration. And that was Bob Avakian. We were both young then. We were both idealistic. And I think we're both, you know, old now and we're still idealistic about making a better world possible because this doesn't work. And that's why I was attracted to the, the revolutionary bookstore. I used to hang out there when it was Midtown in Manhattan. And then when it moved up to Harlem, I would go up there. And I had a couple of really good friends. And we would sit and talk about politics. And I, I love the fact that they never tried to convert me. You know, we had a, a conversations, we dialectical uh, discussions, which is so hard to have any place today because of the education system. And, tech, and, and social media, et cetera, et cetera. But I have very fond memories for a very long time of that political movement. In the early 70s, uh, the Gay Liberation Front, which was the first group to come out of the Stonewall Rebellion, and thank you for recognizing it for what it was. It was a rebellion against oppression. The Gay Liberation Front's politics were multi-issue. And uh, and that's what attracted us to the Black Panther Party. We really we went to the People's Revolutionary Constitutional Convention. And when Bobby Seale was on trial, there was a big demonstration at Yale. And we went as a group and asked and then demanded to have a speaker. I became that speaker. Um, and that's when I began my relationship with Comey Tell Pro, by the way. Uh, when Rise up for abortion rights, you know, they always had a sense of doing provocative actions uh, that were had very serious meaning to them. What happened because of the success of Rise Up for Abortion Rights to me, it was the green was everywhere, the signs were everywhere. When they first started, they, they there wasn't much traction in getting people into the street, but Sarah Taylor does not give up. A good lesson, a good lesson. 
you pick yourself up and you go forward. And gradually it built, it built. And the emphasis on talking to kids, young people in high school and in college was very important, I can see in the organizing of it. Because these were kids who did not know what it was like to not be able to, to they lived in a world where abortion was legal. Women had the right to control their bodies. And uh, when I spoke in front of St. Patrick's at a rise up the abortion rights rally, I talked about what it was like and how I had my own personal experience of learning of the nightmare of abortions when a friend of mine who lived in my building died from a botched abortion right in front of my eyes. I've never forgotten. And that is so important. You know, some of this criticism that's been going on about why do they have a hanger? You know, the big hanger that, that is, you, you can see in some of the demonstration. Or why do they have bloody pants on? Uh, I, I was astounded that, that Rise Up for Abortion Rights was being criticized for talking about what it's like not to have legal, safe abortions. The reason we showed those things and talked about those things, because we knew that women, particularly poor women, regardless of, the, of, of ethnics or, or race, could not afford to get a safe abortion. And there were the deaths were all over the place. Um, I never forgot my friend dying in that bathtub full of bloody water because you hemorrhaged to death from a botched abortion. And I had so much respect for the Rise Up for Abortion Rights organizers bringing in Eve, you know, uh, for the, mono, the, the, the monologues, the vaginal monologues, who gave a right. great speech about patriarchy at one of the rallies. And, and really doing the outreach to minority women, you know, making sure that representation was seen both on the speeches platform and in the presence of, of, of the demonstration. You know, um, there was a woman from San Antonio, uh, a, a domestic worker, and she might've been around my age and she blew me away with, with the integrity of her finally releasing the stories that she had held inside of herself for 50 years. That's what Rise Up for Abortion Rights was able to accomplish. And green was everywhere when that became the theme of the demonstrations. And they became too successful. The attacks on them shocked me. But then I remembered what Comitel Pro was like. After I spoke at Yale at that rally, I became one of the white people, and I'm alive because I think I'm one of the white people that Comitel Pro went after. And what they would do is they would make these incredible behind your back rumors and you know just say awful things about me and other people and try to build dissension within the group. And um, I am just glad to see that Rise Up for Abortion Rights has not you know, they blinked an eye and probably I'm sure some Sarah got pissed off, but just went forward with the correctness of telling the Supreme Court, no, you cannot enslave women in this way when you take away their power to control their body. And then I realized it also affected me as a gay man. And we've seen it, you know, from Justice Thomas and Ted Cruz, et cetera, 
you know, we may be next on the chopping block. All right, so that was the voice of Jim Forat. He is, as he was introduced there by Andy Z, a longtime gay rights activist, but also somebody who has been involved in multiple battles against oppression, for justice, for a better world, and most recently has been a real stalwart part of Rise Up for Abortion Rights and bringing his historical experience and his principle to bear in, in speaking out against the vicious attacks that have been waged against um, Rise Up for Abortion Rights and against BA and the Revcoms. He mentioned me a few times there, Sansara Taylor. I am here today happily being Michael Slate's guest host um, on this special broadcast of the Michael Slate Show. He also mentioned a couple other things I want to just make sure everybody is familiar with. But he was mentioning COINTELPRO, which was the counterintelligence program of the FBI. It was a vicious program that monitored, spied on, and tried to sow dissension among and set up, and in some cases led to the deaths or the murders of revolutionaries, freedom fighters, activists in the 60s and 70s. It was exposed, and there are tremendous lessons, including what he was bringing to bear about combating the culture of rumors and snark and getting things up on the level of politics and principle and program and understanding of problem and solution and forging unity in the struggle against oppression. There's other things he mentioned. Araceli Herrera is the domestic worker he mentioned um, who came up and has been a stalwart part of Rise Up for Abortion Rights as well. And she had the courage multiple times to tell the story that she had kept secret for, for decades and decades of being almost the exact experience that Addison, the 12-year-old, testified about hypothetically in the beginning about being a child who was raped. But for Araceli, this happened to her when she was a teenager. She was forced to drop out of school. She found herself pregnant. Because of this rape, it was actually a gang rape. She didn't even know which rapist the pregnancy came from. And she was forced to carry this to term, and it changed her whole life. She had a son. She couldn't tell him for decades who his father was, or even the circumstance. She had so much shame. She was driven from her homeland. She worked in the shadows in Texas as a domestic worker and kept this secret for many, many years and put this before the world as part of the Rise Up for Abortion Rights movement and the fight against the overturning of, of abortion rights in this country. And uh, before we get back into the interview with Jim Forat and Andy Z, I want to share with you a song it's a song that I never really listened to the lyrics of totally. I mean, the chorus, you can't miss it. But I went back and read it after one of these Trumpian anti-abortion candidates used this song online. And the lead singer of it wrote back on Twitter, Twisted Sister D. Snyder wrote back on Twitter to Carrie Lake, who had pushed this song out. Hey, idiots, read its first line. We've got the right to choose. This is a pro-choice anthem you are co-opting. It was never intended for you fascist morons. As the songwriter and singer, I denounce everything Carrie Lake stands for. Write your own damn song. So you know how the fascist Republicans always like to pose like they're the oppressed and they're the victims. And so they had tried to appropriate this song and Dee Snyder said, no way, you fascist morons. So we're going to play it in tribute.
so there we have it. No, we ain't gonna take it. Um, it's a pro-choice anthem. <laughs> I have to read it again. D. Snyder wrote, I just love it. Hey, idiots, read the first line. We've got the right to choose. This is a pro-choice anthem you are co-opting. It was never intended for you fascist morons. <laughs> Write your own damn song, Carrie Lake. So with that, uh, let's jump back into our interview with Jim Forat, uh, talking to Andy Z. Very bad place where, where we're at right now, where overall there's a cancel culture accusation is as good as guilt. And there isn't the kind of sense and the spirit of what you're talking about uh, of uh, you know, you say a dialectical discussion means a, a discussion based on reality and looking at the contradictions within it. And then we we can argue about it. We can argue about what's the most important part of the Black Panther Party. What did they do? Why were they defeated? These are important questions to get into. But it's not a matter of constantly slicing things off to the point where there is nobody willing to actually stand up. I am willing and I've always been willing. And this is where culture comes in. One of the things I did in the nightclub scene is I brought people from Harlem downtown into the white neighborhood, into the club lands, um, Africa Bambada and, and the Zulu nation. I had Africa Bambada spin with my DJ, Mark Caymans. And then we gave him a night where all of his tribe came down. And the the B boys that that a, a woman named Blue brought into into nightlife, you had on the dance floor people that were never be that close to each other, were probably frightened of each other on both sides of the racial issue, but the beat of a good DJ had them dancing together and 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 having fun and and lowering the tension that racism and fear put into a room. We have to acknowledge that those things exist, but we have to, through practice, through practice, show there is a different way. And I think Baba Bakian, yes, I think that Baba Bakian talks about that in his writings in a very clear scientific manner. And I'm, I'm disappointed that those that are raising the critical voices uh, and using words like cult, come on. I thought one of the American principles was the freedom of speech and the right to think for yourself and to say it without hurting anybody else. Uh, these are dangerous, dangerous times because fascism is everywhere. Well, Jim, I think, look, we've covered a lot of ground and, and this, this is important. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it, we're at a very crucial moment you spoke of um, the Supreme Court being a fascist Supreme Court. You spoke of the danger of fascism. And we talked about the overturning of the right to abortion as part of that. Um, and then we spoke a bit about these, quite a bit about these attacks, uh, cult and all of this, and this culture of uh, accusation and, and using words that of division and and mystical things, the scary cult, which is just a form of neo-McCarthyism. And we have to recognize that when, when this fascist movement, as people know, has no relationship to the truth. In fact, it's a constant destroying of any objective criteria. 
A problem we have is that on the left now, there's that same in this woke wokeness and cancel culture and identity politics is the same thing going on epistemologically. And this is something that that is it poses a tremendous danger and and it is leading people away from finding out about how the world really works, engaging different theories, engaging revolution. And that's a struggle. Revolution is not something that just you, myself, all of us, we were provoked by the actions of revolutionaries to then go in and say, well, what do they actually have to say? And people moved from saying, well, this is the Vietnam War, for example, was a wrong policy or, <clears throat> or you know, it's bad to have uh, segregation to see, you know, oh, wait a second, white supremacy is built into the country or this war is a product of the system. These are things that come through the actions of people in the street, driving them to look more deeply into why the world is the way it is and what needs to be done and what kind of values that you have been speaking of quite, quite a bit and it you know, marks a lot of your life, the kind of values that you develop on the basis of how you understand the world. So I do really appreciate the interview. If you want to have a last word, go for it. Rise up for abortion and rights must not be silenced and be aware of these people who call themselves street journalists. Who are they? What is their background? What is their education? And what do they know about the reality of the world that we actually live in? I was very offended by her, by the woman that this, this so-called street journalist who took great pride in calling it, uh, you know, this uh, rise up for abortion rights and the RCP as a money-making machine. Come on. Some of the criticism that came out of the, of the groups that criticized were worried about money. One actually said, they're taking money away from us. What does that money go to? the green stickers, the posters. I don't, you know, I'm very sensitive about this as a conscious working class person. Who's making the money? Who's taking the money? I have to tell you, I am not suspicious of where the money that is raised goes and rise up for abortion rights or in the RCP. This program, and programs like this are critical in this particular moment to wake up people and try to, try to, try to, try to, and that's almost like a cha-cha-cha, no, seriously, try to get people to think and ask questions and say, I don't understand this. You know, uh, that's what I like about Avakian's writing, whether I agree with every single sentence is not important. It's clear. It's scientific. It's not subjective. It's about reality. It's about capital. It's about our lives and having not even the freedom to be. Anyway, I'm well, sorry. I'm you don't be sorry, Jim. Though no, that's uh, I think it's very important, and people need to hear it. They need to hear it over and over again because they're literally drowned in a cesspool. Of, of, of just a putrid culture and innuendo and accusation. And so look, I one look for it. No, no, Danny, <laughs> one more point. I was very upset when I heard a woman, I don't know what her, her, her race was, calling out 
rise for, uh, up for abortion for using the word enslavement. I'm sorry, do you know what, people have to think about what enslavement means. It means someone dominating someone else. And yes, there's racial uh, parts of that, but that's not only the way enslaved. And when you take away a person's power to control their own life and you say, I have the power to tell you what to do and can't do, which is what the Supreme Court did. That is, for me, what enslavement is. You obey or you're in deep, deep trouble. And we're seeing that in the, in the states with the laws that are being passed. So don't, please, friends, don't be afraid to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you, what are you talking about? You know? These trigger words that people use to try to change the subject or guilt trip or make people feel guilty. No, talk it out, talk it out, talk it out. Well, Jim, thank you for this interview. Um, and I look forward to uh, more conversations. And at some point, we'll see you again at Revolution Books in New York City if you get yourself out here to to Los Angeles, we'll, we'll have you come right in the studio and talk some more. Okay, be well. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Take care. All right, so that was Andy Z in conversation with Jim Forat. It was a segment on last night's new episode of the RNL, The Revolution Nothing Less Show, and you are listening to The Michael Slate Show. And I'm so happy that you are with us in this beautiful sunny morning. I am happy to be with you. My name is Sansara Taylor, and I am guest hosting for Michael Slate today. on the ground to call the heat we could take and then burn it down now it's a real parade we're all welcome now as long as you feel afraid that's what it's about you can call me irrelevant insignificant you can try to make me small be your heretic, you f***ing hypocrite, I won't think of you at all, sticks and stones and all that does Jesus love the ignorant, I like to think he'd gladly take us all, the kids are not alright, none of us are right, I'm tired but I won't sleep tonight, to feel next we want to continue forward with our program we have a great segment that's looking into this distance the distance of time and the distance of space and the universe. Um, hopefully almost all of you have had a chance by now to see the extraordinary photographs taken from the James Webb telescope that go deep, 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 far, far, far into the past and into outer space. Um, if you haven't, you're gonna definitely wanna look at them as soon as you are done hearing this segment or maybe while you listen to it. Um, and if you have, you're going to want to look at them again because you are going to have a deeper appreciation for what you're seeing. So with that, let's go to Noche Diaz talking about the James Webb 
Space Telescope. People look at what religion calls the heavens. They look at the stars, the galaxies. They can see a small part of the vastness of the universe, and they can imagine the greater vastness of the universe. Or they can look on a small scale, look with a microscope and see a small microbe or whatever, and be amazed by what goes on internally within that. They can ponder the relation between what you can see with a microscope and what you can see with a telescope. This is an essential quality of human beings. Human beings will always strive for this. Far from trying to suppress this or failing to recognize it, we can and should and will give much fuller expression to it. Bob Avakian, Basics 430. In this segment, we want to share the awe and wonder of scientific discovery. I'll be drawing from a letter to Revcom.us titled, The James Webb Space Telescope, Galaxies at the Edge of Time, Appreciative Reflections from a Reader. The James Webb Space Telescope is the world's most powerful telescope, and it has just recently released its first five images. The Deep Field Galaxy Cluster of SMACS 0723 the atmospheric signatures in WASP-96b, the dual imaging of the Southern Ring Nebula, the five galaxies of Stefan's Quartet, and the star-forming region dubbed Cosmic Cliffs of the Carina Nebula. Assembling the images itself was a great feat of human endeavor, with the largest of these, Stefan's Quartet, required the knitting together of a thousand different photos taken by this telescope to weave a complex tapestry of what we are newly learning about the universe. In a viral TikTok, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, was gushing and beaming, responding to the first images released by the telescope. Oh my gosh, the first image from the James Webb Space Telescope. And here it is, uh, galaxies to the edge of time. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Galaxies at the edge of time, he said. For not only are these images giving us a look at distant places in space, but due to the nature of images recording light that has traveled for billions of years, it means we are also taking a glimpse into a distant point in time. The images capture light traveling from over 13 billion light years away. That's 13 billion years in the past, and astonishingly close to the theorized 13.8 billion years ago when the Big Bang, which first formed the universe as we know it today, is thought to have taken place. Images of the sparks and swirls, the massive collisions and the emissions of gas and dust all give us beginnings of new insight into the earliest stirrings of the universe which would shape the formation of everything including us. Look at the photo that Tyson was reacting to. Nearly everything in the image is a galaxy, a group of stars held together by gravity. Each of the galaxies contain roughly hundreds of billions of stars. Astronomers have said that a grain of sand held at an arm's length against the night sky would cover an area roughly the size of what is captured in this picture. Another picture they released, the Southern Ring Nebula, shows two views of a star which has exploded and is sending waves of dust and gas into space. Almost all of the elements that make up our world, like carbon and oxygen, are produced inside the nuclear furnace of stars 
and are sent out in explosions like this and in other ways. This then lays the basis for a more complex universe, including life itself. The Webb Telescope will greatly expand our understanding of how all this happened and also promises breakthroughs in the search for life outside our planet. All of this is a very big deal. A key dimension of Bob Avakian's new communism is the relationship between the search for truth and getting to communism, a world beyond exploitation, oppression, and antagonistic social divisions. In this context, he has emphasized the importance of seeking the truth about reality in a sweeping way, not just what is immediately necessary or useful, but part of the rich and multifaceted process that needs to characterize the world's historic transition to communism. He said it like this, quote, There is a whole thing being missed if truth is approached in a narrow and utilitarian way. If somebody discovers something about the Big Bang, that will be interesting and exciting. Truths are important just for what they are, because that's the kind of world we want to get to. For what they are. Human beings do need to be amazed. You don't need religion to realize or appreciate that. In the motion of the material world and the interaction of human beings with the rest of reality, mysteries get resolved and new mysteries emerge. Why wouldn't someone with broadness of mind be interested in questions of cosmology in their own right? Cosmology refers to the science and philosophy of the origins and development of the universe. And Baba Vakian said this in Intoxicated with the Truth. This telescope is a huge advance in humanity's ability to see and understand the universe. The five images released by the scientists running the Webb telescope give a preview of the kinds of things that this telescope will be working on in the years to come. Go to revcom.us to read the letter of appreciation in full and to get a better sense of how this telescope does what it does. This thing is a product of 30 years of work by over 20,000 scientists, engineers, and others from 14 different countries. All this underscores the fact that science is a collective enterprise. It should know no borders, and it is precious for and belongs to humanity. So we have to note and condemn the ways in which some NASA officials and U.S. government representatives cynically try to claim this major collective human accomplishment as testament to the greatness of the American empire. Some scientists have rightly called out the naming of the telescope after James Webb, who was the first head of NASA with a sordid past that includes developing methods of psychological warfare for the U.S. State Department and purging its ranks of LGBT employees. And the U.S. President, Joe Biden, pitifully proclaimed that, quote, These images are going to remind the world that America can do big things and they remind the American people, especially our children, that there's nothing beyond our capacity, nothing beyond our capacity. This is remarkably ignorant, given the amount of worldwide collective human knowledge and work that went into the telescope itself. And it rings especially hollow, given that Joe Biden is the chief representative of a profit-driven capitalist imperialist system which struggles to see anything beyond the edge of its own nose. So with all that, it's worth thinking about the fact that even confined in a society and world like this one, where the capitalist imperialist system overall distorts, mangles, and suppresses truth, science, and the scientific method, while also keeping this scientific knowledge from vast sections of humanity, 
even with all that, something like this telescope can be brought forward. In contrast, think about how this points to the unprecedented and yet unimaginable potential of what could really be brought forward in a society and world which does not do this. As another example of the precious, far-seeing, scientific leadership that humanity needs and has, Bob Avakian puts it this way. Communism will not put an end to nor somehow involve the suppression of awe and wonder, the imagination, and the need to be amazed. On the contrary, it will give much greater and increasing scope to this. It will give flight on a much grander scale to the imagination, in dialectical relation with and in an overall sense as part of a systematic and comprehensive scientific outlook and method for comprehending and transforming reality. Bob Avakian, Basics 430. All right, and that was Noche Diaz. He is the national spokesperson for the Revolution Clubs. And um, I love to think about that. 30 years, 20,000 scientists all working together to open up and deepen our ability to look into history, look into space and time, look into the outer edges of the universe. Um, it's extraordinary. I hope that that was as captivating and awe-inspiring to you as it was to me, and that you will go and look anew at the photographs that have come back so far from the James Webb Space Telescope. There are more to come. It's, it's so exhilarating to learn about um, our place in this universe, and then to get perspective and to, and to recognize we don't need make-believe myths of gods or higher powers um, to be amazed. We can understand the world as it is and, and explore it, and it's awesome. And many people say, we need religion to be able to endure, to survive, to keep from going crazy, to continue to struggle on, even to have some moments of joy and glimmers of hope in a world full of so much cruelty and brutality, heartbreak and heartlessness. But what if the world doesn't have to be this way? What if we could live in a world where never again would a parent have to fear for the life of their child just because of the color of their skin. What if, we, what if we lived in a world where never again would that soul-wrenching experience that never leaves of having to bury your own child whose life was stolen by a brutal thug with a gun and the backing of the powers that be. What if, what if being black no longer meant living in a white supremacist society that continually assaults you in your very being and very sense of worth, constantly subjects you to terror, openly or in more subtle ways, and forces you to face the constant danger that you or your children will have your life snuffed out at any moment for doing nothing, 
but being. What if your humanity really mattered and were considered precious? What if this were true of all people of color and of immigrants? What in fact, if all people were just people of different colors and there were no distinctions and discrimination and persecution and brutality based on what nationality or race you were? What if there were no such thing as immigrants? What if we all lived in a world community of human beings without borders and tanks and guns and planes to enforce them? What if women could walk down the street and look every man they encounter straight in the eye and fear nothing and not be made to feel? and not be made to feel that you're on display and to be evaluated by how you sexually titillate them. What if no more women were ever again battered, raped, assaulted, denied the right to control their own bodies? What if people who were different in their sexual orientation or just in the way they went through life, instead of being discriminated against and bullied, were valued for their difference, if that were seen as part of the great diversity of humanity? What if there were no more one part of society exploiting the others and those exploited had no choice but to enrich them in order to be able to live themselves, working their whole life away <laughs> under conditions of this ruthless exploitation? What if we didn't have to live in a lopsided world where a small number and a small number of countries have to accumulate tremendous wealth by exploiting the great majority and the conditions of the great majority are desperate? Look at the world, look at the phenomenon of Ebola. There's been a lot of concern about Ebola, rightly so, but way too much hysterical fear about whether a few people here might get Ebola and not nearly enough concern about what is happening to the people in Africa. wars for domination and plunder? What if there were whole different relations among people valuing each other's humanity? What if there were different relations to the environment, protecting it and providing for future generations instead of despoiling and ruining it? What if we could have a whole different outlook on life and on the future instead of one of dread? and one of desperately striving just to make it. Now to paraphrase John Lennon's song, Imagine, you may say I'm a dreamer, but this is not just a dream. It is something for which there is a definite basis in reality, and it is up to us, together with people throughout the world, 
to make it a reality. But to make this a reality, we need to understand things as they actually are and as they actually could be. We need a scientific method and approach to life and to our struggle. One last time, my name is Sansara Taylor. It has been an honor to spend the hour with you. I thank you for tuning in. If you want to hear more from me and from the RevComs, I invite you and I urge you to check out the YouTube show, youtube.com slash the RevComs. It's the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, broadcasting every Thursday and available all week. And I want to thank Gary Baca, our engineer today, and our assistant producer, Henry Car Carson. And to remind you that the problem is not human nature, it is the nature of the system. Through a real revolution, a better world is possible. We'll talk to you next week. Nothing you do can stop the movement. We